Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Digital trends show up every day in business decisions and actions. West Monroe is the number one strategic partner translating technology into financial value for companies. The This Is Digital podcast applies West Monroe's two decades of secrets and best practices to your business's benefit. Favorite past topics from the last three seasons include how AI and the next generation of employees are shaping the workplace, becoming a product company, Highmark's journey, and what does it mean to put the customer first. Learn more at westmonroe.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. And now, move the sticks. 10 takeaways from week 12 with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. DJ Bucky Rhett back with you here for the takeaway episode. And, uh, Guys, an interesting week of football. I think if you were to uh, look into the future, maybe from the beginning of 2019, and looked at what took place in the National Football League this week, I don't know if we'd have believed it. Oh, absolutely. We never would see some of the things that we're seeing. A practice squad quarterback who hasn't played a snap it starts the game in Denver. Some of the other things that we've seen with all the COVID situations, yeah, I don't think 2020 is something that we've ever seen, nor we will ever see again. And uh, in uh, more positive news, I still got a whole pumpkin pie in the fridge left over. So I, I'm in great shape <laughs> over here, guys. Man, I've been grazing on this ham for far too long. Man, I got to get that thing out of the refrigerator. That is not a good setup uh, there. Uh, all right, let's jump. Let's jump in and get cranking here. Uh, Bucky, you got the first takeaway. What do you got? 
The Browns grinded out. Mayfield takes it. Play action fake to Hunt. He throws. End zone open. Hooper. Touchdown. Austin Hooper. Baker laid it right in the breadbasket there, Doug. Yeah, and the Browns are not having any trouble getting open in the end zone. It's just connecting. You know, when I look at this Cleveland Browns team, I got to really tip my cap to uh, Kevin Stefanski and what he's been able to do, particularly with this offense. This offense is an old-school slobber knocker type offense they run the football they had over 200 yards against the jacksonville jaguars 33 attempts nick chubb had 100 yards kareem hunt chipped in about 60 and what they're able to do is they're able to control the game with their rushing attack baker mayfield was fine did a good job of hitting some passes he is still not the high level consistent player that you want to see but because they're able to run the ball and really dictate the terms they really set up easy opportunities for him in the passing game This is a hard out for most teams, and as they get down the stretch, this is going to be a very, very difficult team to knock out when they get to the postseason tournament. Yeah, I found it kind of crazy that Baker Mayfield hadn't thrown a touchdown pass since week seven, uh, but was able to get one of Jarvis Landry early in this game, who hadn't caught a touchdown pass in his last 10 games. Longest scoring drought of his career. I think it was helpful to get, even even though it wasn't a dominant part of the offense, obviously still relied on Kareem Hunt and most notably on Nick Chubb. I think it was important for this stretch run to kind of get that passing game amped up a little bit. After three straight weeks uh, with their bye week kind of lodged in between there, of having to deal with bad weather conditions and forced to kind of muddy up the game and, and kind of play a ground and pound type of attack and proving that they can do that. But I think you, you also want to kind of get some of that rhythm in the passing game kind of started back up again as you enter the final quarter of the season. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we find out after the game, you know, DJ, uh, Dave Caldwell, fired as a general manager in Jacksonville. Kind of interesting to see that piece of it go first before the head coach. Sounds like Doug Marone might finish out this season. So uh, obviously another uh, a bit of a rebuild coming in Jacksonville. Yeah, a couple things here. One on the Brown side, um, this is going to be their first non-losing season uh, since 2007 when I was there. Uh, there you go. go. Back, that was, think about that. That was Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards and Kellen Winslow. Uh, that group. So that, it's been a long time here. So congratulations to the Browns. They're on their way, heading towards a winning season here. And they've got a formula, as Bucky referenced, that's working for them. Uh, then we'll flip it over to the Jags. You mentioned it, Dave Caldwell. In full disclosure, uh, me and Dave Caldwell have been buddies and friends for, gosh, 20 years. Bucky and I have known Dave forever. So um, you never want to see somebody that you know, um, that no. you know, and you know about their family. You never want to see them lose their job. But I'll, I'll say this about Dave. I know, I know the wins weren't there. Um, you had the special season where they got to the AFC Championship game. Outside that, I get a lot of criticism with the record. But what he has done is he's cleaned things up and he's set the table for whoever comes behind him because they've got some really good young players. And you two first rounders like James Robinson. Yeah, they've got two first rounders coming up. So you've got and you've got I think the most cap money of anybody in the league, like a hundred million bucks. So they've got some good young players. They've got extra picks. And they've got lots of money. And I know, I'm sure when he made some of those moves and had to get rid of some of those veterans like Calais Campbell, that he, he kind of saw where this was heading. Um, but this is, uh, this is something he's done that I think the next group is going to benefit from. They're going to have a nice foundation to build off of. And uh, Buck, as we sit right here, I'll give you the final thought on this one because you, you cover this team. You played there. Um, to me, if they can get the quarterback position figured out you know, with the potentially the number two overall pick, this thing could turn pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it can turn pretty quickly, DJ. And you're right, like uh, having played there and having affinity for Jacksonville. When I think about this job, DJ, I think it's a great job. I think it's a great job because you have a lot of things in place. 
Ownership is patient. You have a ton of draft picks, two first rounders in next year's draft. You have all kinds of salary cap space. And this franchise is located right in the middle of SEC country. So we talk about the best players playing in the SEC. There's no reason why you can't just stay in your neighborhood and find a bunch of good players to really change and reverse the fortunes of the franchise. Well, look, and I'll just the last word I'll say is Dave Caldwell drafted some really talented players. They were just unable to keep them all on that roster, and they're out there uh, making plays for other teams uh, right now. But there's still some young talent there for sure, as you mentioned, Bucky. Uh, be excited to see which direction the Jaguars go in the future. I'll keep it moving here on the 10 Takeaway edition of this Move the Six podcast with our second takeaway, and that is that the Niners bloody the Rams and muddy the West. Goff with a check with me at the line. They have a bunch formation to the right. Cooper Cup with Higby and Woods behind a play action to Henderson Jr. Pressured. Goff got hit. Intercepted by Javon Kinlaw. Running back 10 5. Touchdown! <laughs> San Francisco! Javon Kinlaw that with a touchdown pick six. Great baby JK! <laughs> I mean, very proud of the call. Uh, it, it, apparently, the San Francisco 49ers just won the Super Bowl. Um, look, it was exciting. It was a big play. And um, going back to the, uh, which is probably, you know, uh, odds on favor for the most creative tagline that we've had uh, all season. You know, it wasn't necessarily that the 49ers out physical, the Rams or anything like that. It was just it was too good to pass up that kind of uh, play on words in the in the tagline there. So I just wanted to make sure I got that in. It's a little wordy. It's a little wordy. A little wordy for you. Okay. A little wordy. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'll just I'll just stick with then. Dalvin was cooking. Um, all right. So let me get back to uh, <laughs> let me get back to the Niners here for a second. Um, they've now swept the Rams in back to back seasons. Okay. They've won both games this year. They won both games last year. They've had the Rams number um, here now. And the Rams defense played pretty well there. Obviously limited the 49ers in the run game. Held them to under 40 yards a carry. But this was all about turnovers. And in a game that was actually pretty statistically even on both sides offensively, I think probably because you got both coaching staffs that know each other so dang well, that's not that much of a surprise. The turnovers were amplified. Jared Goff's performance was amplified, and Sean McVay didn't shy away from it after the game, saying our quarterback has got to take better care of the football. And so now here we sit with a couple of clunkers from Goff this season – with the Rams sitting, you know, at seven and four, they're second place in the West, but there's just one game that separates them from the Cardinals in third place and two games that now separate them from the 49ers in last place. So things are getting a little bit uneasy, I would say, when it comes to this Rams offense and where they're positioned moving forward here, Buck. Yeah, no, I think it's an interesting thing. I, I think as I look at the Rams this year, they are a team that requires their offensive play caller, Sean McVay, to be on his game each and every week. The quarterback doesn't have the ability to bail him out when the plays aren't necessarily correct against the defense. And with Jared Goff turning the ball over, sometimes he's a bit of a double agent working for both teams. And so if I'm Sean McVay, I really have to look at the way that we go about our business. We may need to lean a little more into the running game and a little less into Jared Goff having to throw the ball all over the yard. All right, Buck, you ready for a stat? I'll get some other thoughts on this game, but I, I, was send, I sent this to Red a little bit earlier. But see if this surprises you. Think about the Goff and Wentz conversation we've had, right? And Wentz has been terrible this year, and everybody wants to bench Wentz, and he's got to be put out to pasture. He's no good. If you look at 2019 and 2020, okay, put those two seasons together. 
Wentz has 41 touchdowns, 21 picks, 15 fumbles. Jared Goff has 38 touchdowns, 26 picks, and 12 fumbles. So Wentz has 36 turnovers the last two years. Jared Goff has 38. But I feel like we don't ever even contemplate the fact that he's not playing that well. And, and, and I just think when you look at the support system with Sean McVay as your play caller, with, with a consistent cast of receivers that can uncover, I know the division they play in is much better than, than what Carson Wentz is playing. And, and Carson Wentz is not the same guy this year as he was last year. There's definitely he's, – he's, he's pretty broken down. You've got to fix him. But I think the fact that perception is these two guys are on different planets, is it's not accurate when you look at the numbers. Yeah. Man. And yeah, isn't that an great. expectation thing, too? Like, consider if you go back to the 2017 season for Carson Wentz, I mean, we all thought he was going to be the eventual league MVP. So, like, we've got this bar up here for Wentz where, where while yeah. golf played well in the Super Bowl season, like, he was never in that kind of conversation. Well, Buck, do you think he's a – let's do the truck trailer thing real yeah. quick on these two guys because I know Wentz – and if you look at it, as Wentz goes, kind of the, the Eagles have gone. I, I think I've seen Wentz be the, the truck – to pull the Eagles behind him. He did it last year with the, all the injuries they had with Greg Ward as your number one wide receiver and kind of pulled them into the playoffs. And I've seen him, obviously, he's been a bad trailer this year. I mean, he, had, he hasn't done anything this year. He's been terrible. But I don't know if I've ever had those moments where I've thought that Jared Goff was ever that truck. I think he's almost always kind of been a little bit more dependent on what's around him. He's had some high moments, but I've never got the sense he was kind of pulling that team. What about you, Buck? You know, DJ, it's funny that you said this. And I said this when Jared Goff was coming out. And I liked him. I was in the Jared Goff camp. I believe he's Matt Ryan. I believe Jared Goff is exactly the same as Matt Ryan in terms of being dependent upon the supporting cast and the play caller. And we talk about these quarterbacks, and we can break them up because they're a handful of special ones that are generational talents that don't need everything around them. But Jared Goff, much like Matt Ryan, they need all of the pieces in place and they need the right play caller to match the deficiencies. And I think that stat that you bring up, it speaks volumes about just perception. Philadelphia is like a market where it's big, it's loud, it's boisterous. In L.A., Jerry Goff is able to kind of fly under the radar. But now that you're saying that those guys are playing basically at the same level, it does kind of bring up questions. Why don't we criticize and critique Jerry Goff more for his underachievement as the QB1 for the Rams? So... Um, let me see here. I don't know if you guys can can see this, but this is essentially Jared Goff. He is the truck. <laughs> he is the truck and the trailer all in one because he can be both. You know what I mean? Like we've seen him lead the Rams passing attack to great heights and explosive plays and big time performances. And then we've seen them win in spite of his efforts as well due yeah. to the coaching staff and due to the, the run game at times, especially when Todd Gurley was there and the defense now this year. So I, I just, I don't know which way he is. I just feel like he's the hybrid. He's kind of both. He's that in between land. Nice. That's nice. That's nice work on the fly there, Rhett, to find that image. Uh, hat tip to you. The, the other thing I would just add, you, you mentioned it, Rhett, these teams know each other extremely well. Richard yeah. Sherman, when you watch the tape on the two interceptions, he's literally running the route for the wide receiver. He peels off one on the first interception. He just completely just lets his man go down the field because he's just got his eyes in the backfield reading golf and knows exactly where the ball's going, knows there's no chance he's going to be threatened vertically on that. So he just wheel turns, Buck makes a pick on the one to Kinlaw. 
they, he's lined up. He's got the, the uh, I think it's, who was it? Uh, sorry, Robert Woods was lined up inside, and he adjusts his split. And once he adjusts his split, it was like Richard Sherman knew exactly what was coming on the over route. He's already runs inside of him to try and beat him to the spot on the over route. And they've got over-under coverage on all three levels of that route. So uh, they, they dialed it in. I think they really feel like they're able to shrink the field against Goff in this offense, that they're not threatened at all vertically, and it becomes a little more challenging from the Rams. So going forward for the Rams, I'm, I still think their, their defense has been dominant. There's a lot left there for them, but they're going to have to start stretching the field a little bit. They're going to have to stretch this thing out loosen it up a little bit. Yeah, uh, what do you got here, Buck? No, you're yeah, up. It's, it's funny that you brought that part up. So I think, DJ, you're, you're up. Europe. Oh, I am up here. I'm going to look at the right number here. Uh, too much Tyreek. See, that's a simple headline, Rhett. Second and four for the Chiefs. Mahomes snap at his belt. Works the right boundary. Tyreek Hill over the shoulder. Touchdown, Kansas City. And the wonderful game for Tyreek Hill. A 20-yard reception. Perfectly thrown football over the shoulder of the cheetah who's putting on a clinic in front of a national audience. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, because Rhett did such a good job of using props. Mahomes I'm going to try one myself here. Um I'm going to put this as the sign that you need to have up. When you have a single coverage oh boy. Uh, with Tyreek Hill, you, you need to post this sign, and you need to post it up there <laughs> and just say, help wanted here, because you, you do not want to be stuck the out there on an island. That's where they were. Buck, you, you, they did it with some empty, some formation things, but they were in a lot of, of man-free in this game. And I'm like, man, you're going to play man-free against him? You get what you deserve, because – all Mahomes has to do is just hold the safety for hold the middle fielder for a count, and once he can hold him for a count, you got one on one with Tyreek Hill. It's a, it's it's a suicide mission. You've got no shot of slowing him down in that spot. Carlton Davis, I felt bad for him. It wasn't his fault. No, it wasn't his fault. Here's a few things. Uh, I talked to a defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator, about what the Bucks have been doing defensively. All season, he said, look, Todd Bowles is doing a great job of bringing pressure to mask their issues in the back end. However, they are susceptible to getting got if you can block them. And the game plan that they came in where they decide they want to go one on one with Tyreek Hill, I felt like was a bad game plan. I feel like at some point you can't let the two best players have the biggest impact on the game. Patrick Mahomes is always going to get his, but you cannot let Tyreek Hill go crazy. 200 yeah, yards in a quarter. Yeah. Two bills. You just can't do it. You, I, I mean, I've never seen someone that we know is the number one option have that kind of performance in the first quarter. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, I thought it was. I thought it was more interesting because while, while Tyreek Hill has had a, a really good season, I mean, a solid season, he hadn't had a hundred yard game until week uh, nine. He's only had three this mm -hmm. season, including the two hundred sixty nine yards that he had here against Tampa. So, like, I, I'm just. I'm kind of curious as to why they chose this route when some teams have obviously opted to go a different way with Tyreek Hill. And it, it's kind of proven that while he might get his four or five catches, might find his way into the end zone, he's not going to blow up in a, a blow up a game, wreck a game like he did like this with, you know, three touchdowns and all the explosive plays. So teams have kind of figured out now that that hasn't allowed them to necessarily stop or beat the Chiefs. But at least you don't have Tyreek Hill running wild all over the place here. Not a winning formula. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it, look, it's keep the ball in front of you. It might not be a sexy game plan, and, and, it, and we've said it. I feel like, Bucky, we've said this forever. We talk about it on the podcast, which is moving between the 20s, conceded. We're going to concede yeah. that. That's happening. You're going to move the ball between the 20s. You are not going to allow the ball to sail over our head. You can't let the ball sail over your head like that. You've got no shot. Um, but, I mean, I feel like we beat a dead horse 
uh, on that one. Buck, we can we can move on there. I think enough's been said. What do you what do you got for the next one? The Titans pound the Indianapolis Colts. Easy pickup for first down on the zone throw. Quick count. Tannehill swings it out right side. Henry to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. Touchdown, Titans! Derrick Henry catches a TD for the first time in 2020. You know, the Tennessee Titans are this team that they slowly but surely get better and better as the season goes on. Part of that is due to their playing style. They lean on the big back, and I just feel like Derrick Henry is the body puncher in boxing. He just kind of wears you down. He beats you up, and then in the 11th round, you just tend to fall apart. And when I look at the way that they were able to run the ball, he had 140 yards in the first half. They had 173 rushing yards in the first half. Derrick Henry finishes with 27 over 170 yards. But this offense, which is really simplistic when you look at it, it's almost like playing a video game. It's run, play action. Run, play action. And if they're able to stay on script, it is really, really difficult to deal with the Tennessee Titans because they can wear you out with just this sledgehammer that they have in the backfield. Yeah, you know, I, I went back to the Week 10 game because I wanted to see, I mean, like the, the Colts won in Nashville just three weeks ago, you know, and looked like they belonged in a matchup of these AFC contenders. And while Derrick Henry had over 100 yards, it didn't feel like he dominated that game. Colts end up winning it. And so you come back to this one, you're like, what was the difference? Well, no DeForest Buckner in this game for the Colts. No Danico Autry in this game for the Colts. So they were missing some beef up front on the interior. And clearly that had an effect. But Derrick Henry, I, I, you know, if DeForest Buckner's there, yeah, maybe he does make a big difference. But I think if Henry goes crazy like he did in this one, even with the Colts at full strength, I don't think that surprises anybody. To me here, it certainly feels like the Titans are rounding into postseason form and are pushing themselves kind of into that top tier conversation with the Chiefs and with the Steelers right now in the AFC and kind of separating themselves a little bit from, let's say, the Bills, the Colts, the Browns, the Dolphins and the rest of those kind of wild card fringe teams right now. They are on the verge of that upper echelon. Uh, of course, we've seen that they can make that push in the postseason after last year. But this was an impressive victory here in week 12 for Tennessee. Yeah, a couple things. Bucky talked about body blows. I don't even think that's just within a game. You think about a season. This team is built for when you get through a long season. Man, you're a linebacker and you've been playing for 12 weeks. That's not something you want to do. That's not like hitting <laughs> Derrick Henry in week one or week two. Like That gets old real quick uh, yeah. once you get down to the latter portion of the season. The other thing is that first meeting. Uh, Buck, I, we called that game um, for, for Amazon. That was a Thursday night game. and The, the special teams were terrible. That was when yes. they were down their punter. For Tennessee and that long snapper, I think was that was a total mess for them, special teams wise. So obviously, be able to get that cleaned up a little bit. I'm not worried about the Colts going forward. Those are big pieces they were missing. They get them back. I yeah. think it's still a dangerous team in the postseason. So uh, I think we, we learned about both those teams, but I think both those teams are teams you wouldn't want to play uh, in January. All right, what's the next takeaway here, Rhett? All right, I'll get us to number five, ladies and gentlemen. The Giants are a playoff team. <laughs> Always a strength of this team. It's been a problem. Allen back to throw. He's going to get sacked. The ball is loose and recovered by the Giants at the 38-yard line. Jabal Sheard got the sack and Leonard Williams covered it up. Defense saves the day. Leonard Williams recovered the fumble, but I think Jabal Sheard's the one who punched it out. Fourth turnover by the Bengals today, and the Giants are going to win it. 
Well, that's just like, hey, you know, good for you, Bob Papa and the Giants radio crew. Man, they haven't had a whole lot to get excited about uh, in Giants land the last few years, much less uh, this season. But here are the Giants on a three-game win streak here. They finally beat somebody outside of the NFC East, even though it's the Bengals playing without Joe Burrow. But still, (laughs) they got four wins right now, guys. They are leading the NFC East. And the way things are going, like the, with the rest of the schedule here, I, I don't see a reason why they can't finish there. Now, here are the, the other caveats. Daniel Jones hurt in this game um, with the hamstring injury. He tried to come back in. Clearly, this is, is more than just a little tweak. Uh, that, that was something that severely limited his ability to throw the football. And speaking from some real hamstring pull experience, as in pulling it on the morning workout of the first two a day in four or five training camps uh, in college, uh, that that hamstring looks like it's going to keep him out for at least one week here. So can the Giants withstand a Colt McCoy uh, game if they have to start him in place of the injured Daniel Jones? But my guess would be yes, because their defense, guys, is playing really well. And I guess I I get it. It was this was Brandon Allen making the start for Joe Burrow on short notice and all that. But still, the Giants' defense has allowed 20 or fewer points in three straight games. They are getting after it. Their front has been impressive. You served the Leonard Williams call. They got a lot to be excited about on defense right now. You know, Red, it's funny because DJ and I have watched the Giants when we call the game on Thursday night. And we both said, like, there is something to be said for a team that plays hard and is connected. And for whatever reason, this Giants team has been able to overcome some of their talent deficiencies with just what I call sweat equity. They just get after it. And defensively, Patrick Graham has done a really good job of getting these guys to just play hard and play on the string. Defensively, they don't let the ball fly over the head. They're big and physical up front, and they just kind of wear you down with their size and physicality. And for the rest of the teams in the NFC East to have to deal with the Giants, they do a great job of letting you beat yourself. They're going to be a difficult team to knock out. I'm not saying they're going to do any damage in the postseason, but this is a team that is good enough to win the East, and I think we're seeing that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch this division uh, over the next, really the next decade, because if you look at it with Daniel Jones and they're going to get Saquon Barkley back next year, you know that's going to be a group that can kind of grow together with this young, uh, exciting defense to have Saquon back out there with Daniel Jones. I know Daniel Jones is not perfect. But his athletic ability, I think they're finding ways to feature that a little bit more. Um, Then you look at at Washington and what they've been able to do. That is an exciting young running back that they've got there. Uh, So to me, when you look at what they've done, they need to find the quarterback. Maybe that comes in next year's draft. You you look at Dak Prescott coming back from injury next year, but then you've got Zeke who looks like he's on a total downturn here uh, with, with what we've seen from him. And then, and then the last one you've got left is with, with uh, Wentz. We don't know what's going to happen with them as bad as he's played this year, but you've got a big time back there in Miles Sanders. So with Antonio Gibson and Washington, and uh, you look at Saquon coming back and Miles Sanders. I mean, this is a, it's an interesting quarterback running back division as we kind of forecast this thing out a little bit. DJ, it is very, very interesting to watch this play out. And you talk about the Giants and also the Washington football team. Those are the two teams to me that seem like they're well positioned to really make a move going forward to try and put a vice grip on this division. And the common denominator for both teams, they have solid defenses that are chock full of first rounders at the line of scrimmage. I think that matters. I think I think there's a five dollar fine for me because I think I used the R word there. Uh, five dollar fine. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Uh, apologies. Uh, let's uh, let's keep it moving here with takeaway number six, and that is uh, see Brett. This is how it's done. It's very simple. The Bills find balance on offense. Okay, Forrest. 
Second and goal from the three. Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley to the right side. The snap. Josh Allen keeps it himself. Going to try to run to the corner of the end zone. He dives in, and is he in? Yes, touchdown, Buffalo. Josh Allen, a three-yard run. Yeah, he got called for yeah, taunting. He spun the football on that touchdown right at the feet of Michael Davis, who tried to get the angle on him. He said, you think you got to run me down? I think Davis said something to him. He spun that ball, and Davis just got outrun to the corner. Yeah, I mean, I think I said the same thing on that call, which was, you know, it's pretty impressive when your quarterback beats the corner to the pylon, and that's what Josh Allen <laughs> did on that one. But that was the difference in the game. You look at the statistics in this game and, and watching it, the Chargers won the turnover battle 3-1. to one. Um, You don't often see a team lose a game when they're plus two in the turnover margin. Passing-wise, they were about the same. You look at uh, their ability to get pressure, about the same. The difference is they rushed for almost 100 more yards in Buffalo. So you look at that ground game, and it was a combination. Zach Moss popped a couple. Singletary had a good game. But Josh Allen, and, and Buck, using Josh Allen – on uh, on on some design quarterback runs and it was a lot of draws yeah. which I love as a quarterback because now you've got a lead blocker with your back because you can let the defense expand take your three step put your foot in the ground and it's just basically like a follow you just follow in the back right up in there they had a lot of success I think three or four uh, third down conversions with Josh Allen on design quarterback runs you know I think what we've seen in this league all play callers aren't created equal and with Josh Allen and some of the other athletic quarterbacks that are making their way and having success in the league, you're seeing how play callers are able to really shift what they like to do to really elevate the play of their quarterback. And when I look at Josh Allen and what the Buffalo Bills do, they know that Josh Allen has some limitations, but each and every week they tap into some creative ways of really putting him in a position to take advantage of his skills as an athlete. I like the way this team is trending, even though I don't believe they're playing their best ball, I think they're playing just well enough to give themselves a chance to lead the division until it clicks. And if it clicks late in December, this is a team that has a chance to win a couple games in the postseason. Uh, let's just give some good news, bad news here for the Chargers who fall uh, in another close one. Uh, Joey Bosa, absolute I mean, was he the best player on the field in this game? I mean, yeah. absolutely. Wasn't even close. Yeah. One man wrecking crew. I see why they didn't want Josh Allen to drop back and throw it 30 times in this game because he might not have finished it. Um, for the Chargers, I mean, they didn't blow a lead this time, which I guess, again, is also positive. But they also surely squandered an opportunity to uh, make up a deficit. We were talking about five fourth quarter possessions, three points in those five possessions. The Bills give it to them on three straight possessions. They turn it over on three straight possessions in the fourth quarter. And you come away with three points. The final It wasn't like they didn't move the ball. Yeah, I know. I know. The final sequence, though, uh, was certainly a tough watch. And and that's kind of the way I felt about Chargers football for the majority of the season. It's been a tough watch. So... I got to figure out a way to win some of these games, man. Yeah, no doubt. It's been a tough watch, but I think when you look at overall, Herbert goes over 300 yards again. You know but you've got that guy going there. forward. Austin Eckler looked good coming back, getting him back in the lineup. And I'll leave you the final thought here on this game, which is Joey Bosa, as dominant as he was. Joey Bosa, 25 years young. Yes, I'm going to jump right into it. I'm on the seventh one. And the Patriots continue to find a way. The kicker waits in the staggered stance. Cardona will snap it back. Bailey turns to Cardona. The snap in place. Swing of the right leg. Kick driven to the uprights. The kick is good. Got it. Bolt does it again. His second game winner of the season. And the Patriots prevail at the buzzer over Arizona by a 20-17 to 17 final. 
you know, I know it is hard for these longtime Patriots fans to watch the way this team plays and to find a level of satisfaction after watching Tom Brady <laughs> throw it all over the yard. But this is a team that is at its best when it plays ugly. They only had, look, they had fewer than 200 yards of total offense, but offense, defense, special teams gave them an opportunity to knock off a team that was playing pretty well in the NFC West. And so here we are, the Patriots sitting at five and six. They have a chance to sneak into the playoffs because they played three division games down the stretch. I'm not saying that this team is going, but I'm saying they can make it very, very difficult for teams that are vying for a playoff bid because they can muddy up the waters with their playing style. Yeah, you know, look, I just think the defense kind of stood up. um, And and now for the second time in three weeks, the defense has kind of stood tall. They had the clunker last week against the Texans. But the prior week, you know, they find a way to dispatch of the Ravens. And then here they are against, uh, you know, one of the most difficult offenses to deal with because of what Kyler Murray can present to you. And you give him season lows for Murray in total yards and in passer rating and no passing touchdowns in this one. If you go out there and tell me that DeAndre Hopkins is only going to catch five balls for 55 yards, I'm going to sign up for that every single week. No questions asked. And Patriots win it somehow with Cam Newton's career lows in both passing yards and passer rating. Look, it's not a formula that I don't think we're going to see duplicated in the playoffs this year. I'm not sure that the Patriots are going to end up there. So, uh, But for right now, it, it worked in this week. It worked. They only ran 51 plays and ended up winning this game. I'm just watching this, though. and I know they, they won the game, and Bucky talked about finding a way to win ugly. And they'll get some guys back next year that, that opted out. But I, I'm looking at this team that had been, you know, an unbelievable run of double-digit win seasons and division titles. And I feel like when you look at the roster and you look at the quarterback play that they're getting right now, the way they're going to have to play, this is this team could find itself mired in that that no man's land, which is that seven to nine win territory, which they could be in the foreseeable future. They're, they're going to have to get better there, Buck. I mean, I know they're winning ugly here, and that's admire them for that. But in the long term, they need, they're going to need more than, than what they have right now, and particularly at the quarterback position. Well, absolutely. They got to get more out of Cam Newton. And so as they evaluate this team going forward, I think it's really a complete overall DJ. I can see them mm-hmm. making a move to really try and play like the Tennessee Titans or the Cleveland Browns, where they just try and grind it out until they find their right quarterback. Because you're right, they are going to end up in no man's land. They're not going to be in play for one of the top quarterbacks in the class. And then do you settle on a mediocre quarterback, maybe in the middle of the first round, that may not be good enough to take you to the next level. And so this is a complete change. And I think one of the things that we also have to talk about with the Patriots and some of their struggles When you look at their coaching staff, their coaching staff has been depleted. Bill Belichick has a lot of newbies just trying to find their way in their respective roles. One of those is his son, Steve Belichick, being the defensive coordinator. It's hard when you have so much change and you don't have overwhelming talent to break in new coaches all over the board. Well, um, Matt Patricia is available if they want to bring in an an extra, (laughs) you know, a little extra help on defense. I mean, look, it's not unprecedented. We've seen it happen before. Remember when McDaniels got fired? Josh McDaniels. From the Broncos, right? They bring him back onto the staff for the Super Bowl. They could bring Bill O'Brien back too, right? There you go. Bring bring the whole crew back. Um, (laughs) So, look, I mean, anyway, that's just a part of uh, what I'm sure you guys are going to get into here uh, later this week as we've seen a couple more uh, coaching vacancies now come out. So, uh, all right, I'll take us to the next takeaway here. It's number eight, and that the Panthers lose 
but gains for the future are clear. Cook on the handoff from Cousins, and it's taken away by Chin, but I think a whistle had sounded. <laughs> Chin grabbed it out of the, the pile and took it into the end zone. The Panther sideline is celebrating like there was no whistle. That's going to be a Carolina Panther touchdown. touchdown. <laughs> what to in the back, world? Back-to-back Jeremy Chin touchdowns? Unbelievable. So have, Has that ever happened in back-to-back plays? Well, I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. That is I've awesome. Seen that. That's bound to be NFL history in some form or fashion. I mean, where was the Javon Kinlaw interception return for interception enthusiasm? A little understated there. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> NFL history here, and we're just kind of fun. I mean, like, let's be excited about that sequence, you know, just in the framework of this game. But let's also be excited about, you know, the, the young talent on this Panthers roster, particularly on defense, where we talked about another kind of unprecedented uh, type of situation where they draft all defensive players, exclusively defensive players this last year. And look, I don't know that we've seen the, the the full potential that the Panthers have expected and that we as the kind of evaluators expected from Derek Brown just yet, their first round pick. But man, has Jeremy Chin made an impact. I mean, he leads them in tackles week in, week out. He leads all rookie defenders in tackles. Then he has those two touchdowns. Uh, you start to see a little bit more from Yator Grosmatos as well once he's gotten healthy. I mean, there's there, and then Troy Pride has played well at corner uh, at times. So, I mean, like, there's, you know, like this is not going to be a, you know, a, a a big time season when it comes to win loss record. But when you talk about stacking some things up in terms of momentum for the future, I'd be feeling pretty good for this Matt Rule coach team here in Carolina. Yeah, you should feel good because I think the division is going to come back to them. When you look at the age at quarterback in Tampa Bay and in New Orleans, and even with the Atlanta Falcons. Those teams are going to come back to the pack. And as the Carolina Panthers continue to invest in the young guys, particularly on defense, that will give them a chance. And this has to be heartbreaking for them because this is a very, very winnable game. They had an opportunity to put the game away. They had to set a four field goal, gave the Vikings a chance to get back. And so we'll see. For the Vikings, I think you're encouraged that Kirk Cousins was able to come up with a game-winning drive. You saw some players emerge and make some things happen after Dalvin Cook went out for a little bit with an injury. And so... I mean, I think this is something that is positive for both teams. Minnesota gets the win. The Carolina Panthers are encouraged because their young guys are certainly stepping up and playing well. All right, Buck, what are the uh, – I, I want to try and piggyback here off the Panthers. We look at Matt Rule. I know the wins haven't been there, but by all accounts, it's been very impressive what he's been able to get out of this young team. And I think there's – with the openings we already have, you're starting to see some college names being mentioned. Our buddy Bruce Feldman has an article on The Athletic. You can check that out where he has a list of a lot of candidates for the Michigan job. But I think you'll see some of those same names are going to be names are going to be mentioned for some of these NFL openings. When you look at Matt Rule and and, uh, and what he's done there culture-wise, kind of change that thing around in Carolina. So I've got three names that I like here that kind of fit the Matt Rule profile for mm-hmm. coaches. Buck, I'll hit you up on this, and Rhett, you can follow up and, and add in anybody you might be missing there. Who, who, give me three names, Buck. Give me three college coaches you think could have a Matt Rule-type impact on an NFL team. It's funny, DJ, because one of these guys is hanging out there and he's, he's, he's not coaching right now. But I would say three guys that I think about. I think about Urban Meyer. I think about Brian Kelly. And then, look, I like what Matt Camel has done, so I'm going to throw him in there. The reason the first two guys, to me, are there, they built a program from a macro level and they just understand it. And because they have so many years of experience in terms of building programs, they know exactly what they wanted to look like. They're able to convey that message. And in talking to both of those guys, 
Urban Meyer and Brian Kelly, respectively. I absolutely believe that they can figure the NFL thing out and have success. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. I think, uh, you know, Campbell's going to be a, a hot commodity for, let's say, if Texas comes open, if uh, the Longhorns decide to dispatch of Tom Herman. Um, you know, like, I, I think he'll be, you know, a, a hot a hot candidate in the coaching circle in the college ranks. I don't, I don't know. Are we there yet in the NFL where he's getting that kind of look? Um, I don't know if if Lincoln Riley is a Matt Rule type of guy. He might be more along the Cliff Kingsbury type of model, but still, uh, you know, a guy that um, I, I think he's very happy from what we've kind of all understood at Oklahoma, but would be another interesting one uh, to consider at some point down the line. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've looked at it, and the three names that I put down there um, – we talked about Matt Campbell a little bit. I think Matt Campbell doing what he did at Toledo before he even got to uh, to Iowa State he did a phenomenal job there. They were a very good football team. And actually, when you look at that staff that he had on there, he had a phenomenal coaching staff around him. So he's shown the ability to a couple different stops to not only be a builder of program, but you got to coach the coaches too and, and be able to identify good coaches. He's been able to fill out good coaching staff. So Matt Campbell, um, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, I think the connection with him and Vrabel. Being very, I mean, him and Vrabel are apparently like best buddies, so best mm-hmm. friends, and there's a lot of similarities there. He's had a chance to learn under somebody like Urban Meyer. Obviously, the success he's had, they're a top 10 program at Cincinnati. I think Matt Rule, that discipline, that toughness, you get some of that same vibe with Vrabel. You get some of that same vibe with Luke Fickle. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, I know he's always, everybody says he'll never leave Northwestern, um, but I think, again, discipline, toughness. I think he, as a former player, he'll have the respect of the locker room. I, I think. There's some interesting names. I actually, when I look around the NFL, uh, Buck, I find more interesting names that intrigue me on the college level than I that I might even in what we have available at the coordinator level level at the NFL. I want a guy that's actually been a head coach. Mm. Yeah, DJ, it's funny. It's funny that you bring that up, right? And so, because I'm gonna throw one more name out there, and I know for whatever reason, like it's it's not working at Michigan, but I wouldn't discount Jim Harbaugh coming back to the National Football League and having success, even though we're seeing like this Michigan King kind of teeter. I like the fact that he was at USD. He was at Stanford. He did it at San Francisco. He has had a ton of time. What I will say, Jim Harbaugh is going to have to tighten up on the details when he gets his next opportunity, because I think what we're seeing, the lack of attention to detail has kind of caused his program to erode. But I do believe the resume of success will lead him to have success in the National Football League in the right situation. And that situation might be right there in Detroit. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Interesting one there to stay in Detroit. I think Robert Sala, you're seeing his name mentioned a lot with yeah. Detroit as somebody who's from that area as well. Um, all right, let's let's keep it going here. we got two takeaways left. My last takeaway is going to be a Sunday night football takeaway, which I'm going to be full on, fully honest here and full disclosure. I don't even remember what it was. So let's roll the clip, and I'll, and I'll tell you afterwards. From the Chicago 18, snap to Trubisky in a tight pocket. He's hit, sacked, fumbles the ball, picked up by Preston Smith. He motors to the left to the end zone. Touchdown! Zadarius Smith with the sack and strip. Preston Smith with the scoop and score. And the Packers lead 26-3. Yeah, now it comes back to me. That was I just need to jog my memory a little bit with that, and that's the Bears need an offensive overhaul. See, that's a very efficient uh, line there, Rhett. Offensive overhaul goes Yeah, so efficient you couldn't right even think time. of it. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I just I, I had written down uh, SNFTBD, but it was uh, yeah, I got there. I eventually got there. This is a team offensive line wise. Uh, man, it's three, maybe four new starters uh, for the Bears going forward. There's just not a lot to build around there up front. So you got to try and overhaul that group. 
Uh, I think in the running back position, especially get Tariq Cohen back, they'll be okay. Dave Montgomery popped a long one in this game. So they have some backs there. Um, you, you're going to have to pay Allen Robinson going forward, keep him in the fold. Uh, I like Mooney. There are some pieces there, but man, I think from a system standpoint, an offensive line standpoint, and finding you know the, the tight end, I know with, with what they did in free agency with Jimmy Graham, that's a short-term deal. So to me, it's all in front of you um, that needs to be handled. And the elephant in the room, obviously, the quarterback's not on the roster. So are they going to be picking high enough to be able to get that guy? I look at the wins, or look at the schedule here. Uh, Rhett, I'll go to you on this one, but you look at the schedule as well as I do. I, I don't see a whole lot of wins left on this schedule for the Bears. Well, I mean, like, you talk about it overall. I mean, like, they, they're they going to have three new quarterbacks next year, like, no matter what. Yeah. Like, they're, they, it, may be, it may be more than that, you know what I mean? But um, they're going to – this this I view it kind of like the Vikings a couple of years ago when Sam Bradford left, Case Keenum left, when they got the whole crew out of there and it was, you know, and then they started over with Kirk Cousins. That's what it's going to have to be like for the Bears because their quarterback for next year is not on this roster. Um, if I'm looking at that schedule right now for the Chicago Bears, Lions next, I mean, will be an opportunity. Um, the Texans have been playing really good lately. So have the Vikings. Um, I don't know, the Jags maybe. Look, they're not a playoff team, and it's just a matter of what are they going to do in the future. They'll get one more. They're yeah. going to get one more win, Buck. They're going to be 6-10. and 10. Yeah. Uh, They for sure can get the one in Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're talking about what? two teams. Um, you know, it's funny, Red. Like, we talk about the elephant in the room, and I think we can have a deep dive on this on the podcast maybe tomorrow or Thursday. The Mitchell Trubisky situation, to me, is something that deserves a case study. Because when you look at that draft and you look at the, the decision that the Bears made to move up to get Trubisky and you look at the success that Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes are having, I just think it deserves a deep dive as to why Mitchell Trubisky was viewed as the one when you compare his resume in college to those of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I think when you make that mistake and you make an egregious error like that, it just puts an albatross around your franchise. And if you don't move on from it quickly, it ends up eroding your franchise as we're seeing with the Bears right now. Yeah, I think you can find, you know, it's interesting because you can make arguments on both sides of this because I, I sit there and go, okay, man, Dwayne Haskins, who hasn't worked out, really just had that one year of production. Mitchell Trubisky, one-year starter, hasn't worked out. But then on the flip side, you look at Kyler Murray and what Kyler Murray's been able to do and the success yeah. he's had as a one-year guy. And you go, okay, well, then you've got, man, look, Justin Herbert played a lot of football. Patrick Mahomes played a lot of football. Those are a lot of throws, a lot of snaps those guys have accumulated, I think. And while the, the, the crazy thing about those two is that the ceiling is so sky high, but I also think they came with higher floors because they just played a lot of football and, and thrown the ball a lot versus some of these guys that don't have a lot, which is going to be interesting as we get to the discussion going forward for this draft because you've got a guy that we, I know I, I really like. I know, Bucky, you like him, Rhett. We've talked about him as well. Uh, but when you look at, at a quarterback in North Dakota State who has really one year as a starter, you know, you've got to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I think you absolutely have to talk about it, DJ. I, I think when we compare – these things. And whenever we find out what that baseline number is, right, it's different because these juniors are coming out. And so how many years? But I think you have to have maybe 35, 30 to 35 starts so you can begin to kind of see what someone is in college so you can build around. But yes, the Trey Lance evaluation based on maybe some of the, the, the failures that we're seeing with the one year guys certainly is going to kind of cause us to pause a little bit when we think about him and what he could be at the next level. All right, what's the final one here, Buck? The Falcons rise up 
against the Raiders. Booker stays in the ball game. Here's Carr looking to throw again. Pressure coming. Kaminsky, and it's intercepted. Deion Jones with a flag down. And Jones is going to the end zone. And we'll see if it's an Atlanta touchdown. Interception for Deion Jones. What he does, he scores touchdowns. That is his 11th career interception and his fifth touchdown. You know, I picked the tagline because I thought the tagline was nice and creative. But really, this game had nothing to do with the tagline. The, the, this, game, this, this game really had to do with the Oakland Raiders' self-inflicted mistakes. When I look at it, before you can win a game, you have to know how not to lose it. And the thing that we talk about in terms of losing game, avoid the negative plays. Well, I'm looking at this, and I'm going to read this. Five turnovers, 11 penalties, 441 yards, and five sacks. All the negative things that you don't want to happen, they happen for the Las Vegas Raiders. So as much as the Falcons were able to raise their level, the Las Vegas Raiders gifted the Falcons a win because they didn't play very well and they didn't take care of the football. So here's a couple of things. Um, just on the Falcons uh, here, because uh, you mentioned it, the Raiders, the turnovers, that was absolutely the turning point of this game. It was the reason why they lost this game. They couldn't figure it out uh, on offense. But for the Falcons, who have long been plagued by the, the pass rush, right? They've been trying to find the pass rush. They've spent high draft capital on it in the past. So, like, I want to ask you, like, some of these names that you associate with the Falcons' attempts at pass rush, right? You go back to Vic Beasley. He did it for a year, but he's no longer with the team. Yeah. Tack McKinley had a decent year. Uh, I think it was like two two years, three years ago now, and no longer with the team. Dante Fowler has played well uh, this year uh, for them, but like those are big, big names, right? Let me tell you who got sacks this week for the Falcons. Steven Means, Jacob Tuioti Mariner, Foyasade Aluakon, John Kaminsky, Tyler Davison, and Jalen Hawkins. I so, I mean, it just kind of shows you, foursome. you know what I mean, that you can find, I guess, that sack production out there. Now, look, this is just one game. Right? It's not a consistent uh, pass rush situation here, but they got it done. Foyasade Aluakon, by the way, six-round pick in the 18th draft has proven to be a real player this year. He's a he's a uh, like a peanut Tillman kind of punch it out, strip, strip the ball out kind of guy. But um, it's just it, it's kind of funny to me how that uh, sometimes the big names don't always get it done. And, and here we saw that in this game. Yeah, the irony is you look at the Raiders team who's been trying to find a pass yeah. to compliment Max Crosby, who was not a first-round pick there, who's been clearly – he is their pass rush. So yeah. uh, that's something they're going to have to find going forward. That's on their to-do list there uh, in the offseason. Uh, last thing here as we finish up the 10 takeaways, um, I Rhett, sorry about your quarterback getting hurt, uh, Thanks, but there man. is some good news in that I have this helmet sent to me from, from App State, which is – Easily the prettiest helmet in the history of college football. Are you guys gonna are you guys gorgeous. gonna wear that in the New Orleans Bowl again for the sixth straight year? Uh, I mean, uh, is, we might, I mean, we might. Nice, we we have nice a good helmet. week down there. We get some good jumbo. We get some uh, some gumbo down gumbo, there. We get yeah, a little. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, we like we like our time down there. Yeah. I, I don't know why you would discourage a, a bowl game in the city where you grew up. That's I'm just, not. That's I'm not. not cool, I man. just uh, just I find it <laughs> yeah. I find it interesting. I'll uh, I'll call you from uh, Glendale, Arizona, when I use playing in the Fiesta. All right. Oh, oh really? Nice. Ooh. Nice. You playing quarterback in that game or? <laughs> I don't know. Come on, Jack Tuttle. It's time, baby. Here we go. There you go. There you go. Oh my god. Uh, all right. There we go. There's uh, there's ten takeaways for you. Well, it's been a fun episode today. Looking back at an amazing week of football, it was. Uh, it's all. Always fun watching football with a full belly, Buck, uh, coming off Thanksgiving. And I think we got rewarded with uh, some solid play there. 
Yeah, solid play indeed. And you're right. There's nothing like watching football over Thanksgiving weekend. Looking forward to the next later games coming up. Now, we got a big one coming up here next week, which we'll be keeping an eye on, and we'll have uh, plenty to talk about here on the recap episode, and that is in the best division of football, the NFC West. I feel like we've been talking about that division all year long. Uh, but at the Rams and the Cardinals next week, that's one uh, we'll be looking forward to on an uh, impressive slate of NFL competition. And we'll have all, all the reaction for you here on the recap episode next week at this time. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Do you have a digital mindset? Check out Season 3 of This is Digital. Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including driving profitable growth in enterprise software and how the new sports fan experience can drive revenue. Featuring guests like Chris D'Agostino of Databricks and Scott Crable of Tama Bravo. Check out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit MortonBuildings.com and start your construction process. With superior materials, craftsmanship, best-in-class warranty, Morton Buildings are made to last for generations. At Morton, the difference is in the details. From their cutting-edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field, they are dedicated to surpassing expectations. Their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years, and Morton Buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. 
In a clinical trial, SmileActive's users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to SmileActives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.